All right, folks, welcome to Call and Shots, uh, first episode in a while, and I'm joined by two uh, two friends of mine who were, were kind enough to fit some time in their, their busy season, having started travel schedule, uh, to kind of revisit in a way too early fashion, uh, probably the biggest move of the offseason, by which I mean the, uh, the, the trade that brought Rudy Gobert to Minnesota from Utah. I'm joined by uh, Sarah Todd of the Desert News and John Krasinski of The Athletic. Uh, folks, thanks for, thanks both for joining me. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, n- not the only two teams, but I would suggest that these are that that you both each cover a team that hasn't exactly started the way that we thought they would. Um, <laughs> I think that's fair to say. And I kind of want us to start by asking you, Sarah. You've covered Rudy Gobert for a number of years. Um, just from what you've seen of the Timberwolves so far. Uh, what's your assessment of what's gone on and what has surprised you and what is kind of what of the problems have been? I kind of saw that coming. Yeah, I think that I think there's been a lot of I kind of saw that coming in this and that uh, after watching him, you know, play 82 games for, you know, years, hearing some like Minnesota fans or even the people, some of the other people that cover the team say like, wow, I you don't really understand like the depth and gravity of what he's able to do on the defensive end until you really watch him every night. I mean, it's really, it's truly impressive when you get to see that on a daily basis. And then the other thing that I kind of saw coming is you're hearing a lot of like, well, what's wrong with the Timberwolves right now? And part of the problem is that Rudy can't do everything by himself. And that has been the story of the Utah Jazz for as long as he's been there. So, in, in, an interesting parallel I've seen is is it's a lot of oh Rudy can't do this, Rudy can't do that. What's what's wrong? You look at the Timberwolves; they've started they've started had had a you know middling start of the year. They're still seventh in defense, but they're twenty fourth in offense. And you wonder um, one of those is a credit to him in large degrees uh, and the other, you know, how much, John, I'll ask you this, how much of their um, muddy offense is, uh, or stuck in the mud offense, I guess, is about him, how much of it is about other players not playing well and is it, or is it just an odd mix? Um, Yeah, I think it, well, I think, it, it's an odd mix or it's an unconventional mix. And so that's why in many ways I did expect the bumps in the road that we have seen so far from them offensively. When you are trying to play with a too big configuration like they are, um, it takes some getting used to. It takes some acclimating. And you can see when you watch them play that it's a group that just has not played much basketball together and therefore is sort of constantly overthinking, uh, tripping on itself, uh, not playing fluid, uh, free and easy, any of those things. And a lot of that is lack of familiarity for those who are listening right now um, and who are unfamiliar. Carl Anthony Towns missed all of training camp because he had an infection. Uh, Rudy Gobert was severely limited in training camp because he was just coming off of Eurobasket. And so he didn't play. He played, they played one game together and he didn't practice all that much either. He was trying to kind of catch his breath after that, that big tournament. And so they started the season really with very little 
uh, experience playing together underneath their belts. And so now you just see a team that really doesn't move the ball very much. Um, you, know, you see a starting group that uh, that isn't generating clean looks either at the basket or from the perimeter, a lot of ISO heavy ball. And that comes when you don't have a natural flow with each other. And so then you're trying to do everything yourself. And Edwards tries to do that. Russell tries to do that. Towns tries to do that. Um, and then the, the, the other aspect of it that is, I think, really contributing to some of the offensive malaise is that they are really determined to try and get Rudy involved in the offense at a level that was higher than in Utah, where it was primarily catching lobs, setting screens, rolling to the basket that way. They're trying to get him in some other actions. They're trying to do some things because they think that Rudy was a little unhappy uh, with, with his role in the offense in Utah, and they think that they can kind of leverage him in different ways. And so far, we have not seen that pay off. Um, and so... I just think that there, all of those things are conspiring to make this team look pretty ugly, at least in the starting five, for, on a nightly basis. Right now, the best thing they have going is their bench group. Those guys play and share the ball. They get up and down the floor. They, they do a lot of the things that Chris Finch wants because they've played together longer. They have more familiarity with each other. And you just have Rudy out there now, and, and these guys don't know how to play with him. They don't know how to play off of him. And the result is a stagnant group that just can't find a, a rhythm. Is there a little bit of overanalysis in terms of their biggest problem is Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards have just not played very well so far? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's part of that. I mean, uh, you know, this team right now is the second worst three-point shooting team in the league. Uh, last year, they led the league in, off, in, in attempts from beyond the arc with like 41 per game this year, they're 15th or 16th with like 15 or uh, with, uh, excuse me, with like 30, I think it's 35 or 34 per game right now. Um, they, so they, they're, they're not shooting the ball well at all. And that includes Carl Anthony Towns, who has always been, you know, whatever his faults are, he's always been ultra efficient as a shooter and as a scorer. And he's not been that way just yet. Um, Anthony Edwards is scoring a lot of points. All of his numbers, points, rebounds, assists, they're all up. Field goal percentage is up. Um, they're at career highs right now. But he's also, like, uh, ISO heavy. Uh, he is turning the ball over a lot. He is doing, you know, doing things that, that happen when you are uncertain and playing tentatively out there. And so he's struggling. D'Angelo Russell is playing really poorly right now turning the ball over all the time, not playing good defense, shooting 28% from three. Like, so yeah, there's, there's just guys who are not making shots. And I think if, if the threes start to fall, if they start to get more of a rhythm that way, that will get a little bit more air breathed into the offense and then maybe give Rudy a little more room to work, maybe give Anthony Edwards a little more room to work. Um, so yeah, part of that is, is that there's just guys that do have to play better and are capable of reaching a higher gear, and they haven't done that yet. So, I want to stick with, with, with Ant for just a, a couple more seconds. I saw a stat this morning that uh, would not have occurred to me, and it's, it's kind of wild, actually. He hasn't dunked the ball this year. Right. Um, you know, so, okay, I, I think that, that if you look at their, their underlying numbers, like, okay, some of the difficulty is at the rim. Maybe the spacing isn't as good. 
um, because of the two big lineup. But still, I'm just wondering, is he playing with the same degree of, of, of physical pop that was kind of became his hallmark over, over kind of the, the second, I don't know, the, the back half or so of last year? Yeah, um, he, I mean, he isn't, and I think part of that is is because he's trying to figure all this out. Um, he is not used to having, last year he played, and the Wolves were essentially a five-out offense with him. Now, you had Jared Vanderbilt in there, and he would be in the dunker spot, but Vanderbilt was kind of more active and mobile in terms of running around the place and creating open lanes for Anthony Edwards, whereas Rudy is a little more stationary, and he is uh, just a big, big presence that is in the middle there. And Towns is is kind of in the not in the way, but certainly a big who likes to be down the block too. In addition to being out uh, at the three point line, so there isn't enough, as much space. Uh, the opponents, because the team is not shooting well from three, opponents are packing the paint more on Edwards uh, and, and and not letting him get to the rim as easily. And finally, they're not getting out in transition as much with that starting group. Uh, they're not getting the stops that they need, and he's not getting any dunks in transition uh, either. They've been very inefficient in transition this season. And so all of that is to say that when you watch that starting five play basketball, it just looks really hard right now. When Ant scores, it's one-on-three, plowing to the rim and scoring with a lefty layup or getting fouled or hitting a, a step-back three. Um, and... It's it's not anything that looks easy, uh, looks in the flow of things. The only time that the starting five has looked good is when Carl Anthony Towns is making nice passes, either to Gobert going to the rim, to McDaniel's cutting, something like that. Towns has been really good passing the ball of the season, but everything else has just been so difficult. They're not getting good shots. They're not creating good looks at the rim. They're not. Um, they're just not playing together at all. And it's a, it's a five individual group out there that is kind of standing around too much. And that just makes life really difficult for Edwards, you know, trying to get to the rim and trying to get those, those dunks that really can electrify a team and get them moving in the right direction. I think to, oh, sorry, to, go ahead, Sarah. to John's point about the familiarity of the team too, like <clears throat> Rudy Gobert would not be the first person in NBA history to, the trade that takes him to his second team, like kind of creates a little bit of chaos at first, right? Like Mm -hmm. players get really comfortable in that first place that they're at, especially if that, I mean, it was eight years or nine years that he was with the jazz. And so coming to a new place, especially if you're talking about just little things like trying to get Anthony Edwards out in transition, it takes a while for the other players and for Rudy to be able to know like where guys are going to be at just on a basic outlet pass. Right. And like to be able to push the ball or sometimes when Rudy is contesting a shot or blocks a shot, like he's not kind of the normal guy that like blocks into like the second or third row. Sometimes he'll try to like block it to like his left side and tip it that way. And so like very little things about tendencies and playing with each other. That's I think that's all going to like even out. Yeah, and, and Sarah, one thing I wanted to ask you now that you, you're you on here with us is one thing that I have seen from a, if, if anything, no, most of this has not surprised me. I have expected this kind of tentativeness. I, I've expected this acclimation process to take some time. I said, you know, wait for 20 games to really evaluate how they're going. But one thing that has surprised me a little bit is we have seen, if there is a detriment to Rudy right now, it is 
the hands. Um, he <laughs> has, uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell's made some really good passes to him. Uh, a lot of guys have made really nice passes, some of them in traffic, but a lot of them at the rim, um, and he's fumbling the ball. He's, he's not catching it cleanly, even on rebounds sometimes. He's going up and grabbing it, and the ball slipping through his hands. And and I I don't know that I paid as much attention to him offensively in Utah, but was that an issue with the Jazz that they had to deal with, or is this maybe just another thing of, hey, he's not, not sure where the ball is coming from or, or comfortable getting these passes yet from his teammates, and that will get better as, as, as things go on here? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, he definitely has – uh, some problems with that early in the season every year where okay. it's, a, it's a little bit more prevalent just in the first few weeks. Mm. That being said, he does have bad hands. Okay. And my theory, as I was watching him for years, I started to think that he does where maybe if you compare him to like, kind of like a finesse guy, like a shooting guard or something, it's like they're, their shoulders, elbows, hands, and fingertips all kind of move in a fluid motion. And I just don't think that Rudy Gobert knows how to do that. He's a little bit like disjointed. And so his finishing is very ugly sometimes. And I think that he also kind of gives up on finishing when he uh, sees any contact coming and he tries to oversell fouls, which makes it look even uglier. And Mm. so, Yes, there's a little bit that will even out, but he does have problems with that. Good to know. Let's uh, let's flip it around. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned you know some of the things that uh, the the lack of movement and and lack of sort of team cohesiveness on offense um, for a, for a team that is really does not have a lot of continuity from a season ago. I would say that's been one of the hallmarks of the Jazz so far this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I think for the same reasons that it wouldn't work or it would make things difficult for the Timberwolves, it's like those are the same reasons that it's kind of working for the Jazz right now, because there are no expectations. Like the the expectations for the Wolves was like they made this huge move and things are going to be good. And so a lot of like people from the outside want it to happen right away. Conversely with the Jazz, it's like there's absolutely no expectations. Everybody expected that they might go like 0-10 for the first 10 games. And everyone is so weird and it kind of seemed like weird fits. And so the chaos and the surprise that they are going against teams I think is playing to their advantage. And I mean, certainly there's, there's very good players on this team, right? Like we know that Lowry Markinen is a good player and what he showed in Eurobasket, he's carrying over now and he's given, he's being given the freedom to kind of open up his game and expand. But that's because this team doesn't have like a go-to star or go-to guy. And so it's it's anybody's ball at the end of the game. I mean, we've seen a game winner from Kelly Olynyk, and so there's there's definitely not a guy who you think oh it's going to be his in his hands. That also takes teams like by surprise, and so I think that I think that once you actually have like more scouting data on like how the Jazz are going to run things, once teams aren't so surprised by Will Hardy's decisions, once teams uh, kind of see the way that the Jazz are defending they're not going to be able to kind of thrive in that chaos for very long. And so 
I expect for things to even out in the opposite direction for the Jazz. But, I mean, I've also been shocked up to this point, so I could be completely wrong. <laughs> uh, John, I want to ask you about, about Laurie Markkinen specifically. I mean, he's spent, up until now, uh, his his entire career kind of in, in the upper Midwest. So I, I presume you've, you've seen a decent amount of him. Yeah. We've um, eaten, di- we've eaten dinner together. You know, we, all of us Midwest guys hang together. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in Minnesota this weekend. So of course we'll run into each other. Cause great. But yeah. Um, um, did you see, he's been spectacular this year. Did you yeah. see any of this coming? I mean, there were some moments with the Bulls where, you know, and, and I, he is someone that I've followed closely just because the Timberwolves essentially traded him in that Jimmy Butler deal. And so I always kind of wanted to just keep an eye on how that worked out because I do know that had they not pulled off the Jimmy Butler trade on draft night in 16 or whatever it was, um, that, that marketing would have been their pick. They would have taken him and tried to pair him with Towns and just, you know, and, and go to it that way. And so I've always just kept an eye on him. And he's always been skilled. Um, I think that obviously staying healthy is a big thing. Putting on, you know, strength is, is another big thing for him. He just right now appears to be playing with a confidence and with a, an aggression. I think that really is greater than anything we've seen from him in the league so far. And when you add that swagger and that that strength to his very talented and versatile game, that's a really nice combination to have. And then you surround him with a bunch of just super hardworking dudes. Um, and... That can go a long way, especially early in an NBA season. I mean, the, the Timberwolves last year with Vanderbilt and Beverly and Beasley and, and a lot and some, a bunch of the guys that, you know, some of them went to the Jazz. I mean, the, the, they won games just on sheer energy and effort. And I think a lot of that is what's happening in Utah right now is they are catching teams by surprise, as Sarah said, but then they're just playing so dang hard. And, and that is contagious and infectious. And then you add to it that Markinen is very skilled. Clarkson is a skilled scorer. Beasley is one of legit, one of the best shooters in the league. Um, Vanderbilt is an, an incredible rebounder and, and, and defender. And they just have a lot of nice pieces. They don't have anyone that's probably going to be playing in the all-star game unless Markinen continues, you know, this kind of play all the way through. Um, but they they play really hard together, and Markinen's you know ability to shoot it, ability to rebound, ability to kind of just kind of force the issue a little bit more. That's been the nice surprise to see him sort of capture that after kind of going through a lot of the health issues and the fits and starts that he's gone through early in his career. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty 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 vindicated because I've been a, a huge proponent of Lowry Markinen since. Uh, since those Bulls days, and um, there was, you know, there was a little bit of all-star buzz for him in his second year there, and I thought, like, man, this guy is just going to break out, and so it it was hard to watch him sort of lose a little bit of role and be restricted to specific roles and not being given kind of the freedom that I, I thought that he could use, and so seeing him play like this, like, I'm going to have to go back and find some old tweets so that I can really vindicate myself. <laughs> Dig them up. Absolutely. Yeah. Get the receipts. Um, 
so I think we saw this a little bit last year. I, there was a worry of, of, you know, when Cleveland went with that sort of monster front line of him, Mobley, and, and Jared Allen. It's like, ooh, defensively, I don't know. And then for, like, while Cleveland was healthy last year, they were very good defensively. And he might not have been the cause of it, but he certainly wasn't. He was certainly a piece of it and more than held his own. I've been very, um, you know, uh, fresh off my mind. I thought he was tremendous defensively. Uh, in in their last game against Memphis, um, have you been have you been pleasantly surprised by his ability on that end? Yeah, I mean that's definitely been the the biggest surprise. I think the I didn't really know like the, the quickness that he was going to be able to like move laterally and kind of slide. And um, he's been he's been really like guarding one through five in games and and like you said, absolutely holding his own. I mean the he blocked John Morant like twice at the rim against Memphis and then was also like banging with Steven Adams at times. And so the, the versatility and the quickness that he has on that side is, is not something that I expected. And I mean, if you're the jazz front office and like, he's one of the pieces that you're wanting for the future to like, see that that's actually going to be a part of his game. You have to be so excited. Well, and the other thing is too, like, He's only shooting thirty-one percent from three right now, and oh, yeah. he's you know that's going to come up. So when you look at like where he has to go still yet, I mean, yeah, he, he's shooting fifty percent from the field, and that's and that's a, a much higher than he normally does. But if you think that it, it that he finds his shot a little bit more from deep to mix in with more of the big ball that he's been playing, and just kind of in that way. Um, holy cow, you might really have a player on your hands there. Um, so, you know, if, if Danny gets, you know, Lowry in the Donovan trade and then gets a bunch of really good supporting guys and a, hel- a, a whole heaping uh, helpful of draft picks in the Rudy trade, I mean, I just don't know how you do much better uh, than, than what he did with those two deals. Yeah, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I, I mean, he's averaging like 24 points a game uh, at, at like 31%, and he's like a career 38.5 or higher shooter. And so, as you said, like that percentage, I mean, if he's, he'd be scoring near 30 points a game. So, you, you brought up the, the, the front office, and, um, you know, um, first of all, how surprised do you think they are by this start? And what, what are they, you, you know, is there a pivot point this season or is it just, Hey, we're pretty good. We've got all this draft, these draft assets. There's no reason to, to, you know, to break this up. Let's just have a good vibe season and go from there. Um, like, so what, like, what can you tell me about the thinking both before the season and now about, you know, how they treat this season? Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a little bit difficult because, you know, if the, <clears throat> I've said this before, like the jazz didn't send like a huge front office contingent to Vegas to watch Victor Wimbignana just because they like basketball, right? Like they, they are interested in having a top pick. Uh, Of course they are, but I mean, obviously like it seems right now, like this team is too good to tank, but like, is that beneficial also for future moves? Like right now, Kelly Olenek looks amazing. Jordan Clarkson looks amazing. Mike Conley looks great. Like, if anything, trade value has increased. And some of the teams that maybe were wavering on deals before, like, uh, it's hard to look past some of those guys and think like, oh, that could really help us. And so 
from that perspective, it's like things are kind of going to plan. And I think that it's really hard to ignore the fact that they traded away Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdan. Like four of their five starters are gone. That's not a move that you make if you think like we're trying to get better this year, right? And so I I think the original plan is clear. But now that things are going so well, it's like how many moves could you make to actually bring down the level of this team? And I think part of it is you kind of do have to wait as the Wolves do, like until 20 games into the season to see like, what is this really like if they were going to kind of like tank down and try to get a higher draft pick, how like would trading Jordan Clarkson actually like make that big of a difference? How many moves would they have to make and would it be worth it? And then kind of along, along the same lines, you have to look at like where some of the picks are coming from too, because like if, if things, if things don't work out for the Wolves, if that doesn't even out for the Nets, if that doesn't work out and for like Houston and Philadelphia, they've got a first round pick that's the least favorable of those three. And so looking at where the other picks are coming from, like they could just kind of go for it this season and get high draft picks depending on how the rest of the league plays out. And so I think that they're, there was a clear plan to start out with, but there is some maneuvering that can happen either way. There's also a fair amount of, I mean, the, the you know, again, we've talked about the Wolves kind of scuffling. Um, relative to some other teams with high expectations, uh, 500's okay. Um, yeah. You know, it's not that we're not, you know, that we're not talking the Clippers, Nets, even, even Warriors, you know, are underwater right now. I, I don't think anyone expects really that to continue for, for for all season, but certainly that plays into it too. I mean, if they find themselves in the fifth seed at the All Star break, like as you say, like there's only so much you can do to make that go the other way, and why would you want to? Are we talking? So I'm uh, sorry. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm, ta- I'm talking. I'm talking to Jazz. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, for any team, it's like you don't have to have like the best record in the world. Like 500 is okay. Right. Like you just, if you were trying to get into the playoffs, like you don't have to be the number one team to get in there and kind of see if you can make some noise. And so, man, I don't know. It's, it's so weird right now. I think that's the problem is that when people are asking me about this team, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. I didn't expect them to like start out uh, just with, the, their first loss was on the second night of a back-to-back in Houston, and it was kind of, it kind of looked like it was a scheduled loss in the first place. And it's just been really weird. And I don't think that if you'd asked any of the players on the team before, if you gave them truth serum and asked if this is how it was going to be going, I think that if you asked like Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley if they'd be here uh, past probably December, that they would have said no. Like. There, there's a lot of things that are very weird, and so uh, that's weird, Seth. Right? Like, it's, is it right. weird? <laughs> well, I, I feel like it's also, I mean, the fact that like the Jazz haven't weren't necessarily a great, you know, to borrow, uh, you know, or friend Sean Hyken wrote a, wrote a column about about this the other day, and he noted that the the Jazz are right now a great vibes team, and that hasn't always been the or recently at all been the case 
Yeah, um, I wrote and- uh, I wrote a column last season about how bad the vibes were. It was nothing felt good. The none, none of the wins felt good. Like we were, I think it was the maybe the third game of the season. They played against the Kings. They won the game, and already after the game, I was asking Donovan like you guys won and it looked fine, but like, why doesn't this feel good? And that theme carried out throughout the season. Like there was, it sounds really cliche to say, but like there was just no joy in the way that they were playing. And this team is the exact opposite of that. Everyone is happy. There's, there's no ego to anyone on the team seemingly. And, and everyone is happy. There's so much joy. There's, and they're thriving on the chaos that they're playing with. And I mean, they're moving the ball with incredible speed and accuracy and efficiency. And like the other night uh, in their win against the Grizzlies, it was like their last 23 baskets were all assisted. Like that's an insane number. (laughs) And so the the joy factor really is something that you have to pay attention to. So last, last I'm going to ask one more happy, fun uh, question about the Jazz and then get back to being negative about the Wolves. <laughs> um, uh, tell me about Will Hardy, the coach. Um, I've, again, I've, I've, uh, I've used Utah as sort of the counterexample for, um, you know, Philadelphia might be the, the, the prime example of a team that, that, is sort of underperforming their offensive talents by not really leveraging their 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 players' skills together, and uh, the Jazz are the perfect sort of counterpoint to that. And, and you, I mean, I think you just made the point as as well as it could be made. The last twenty three baskets are are assisted. You're you're getting some you're getting some good uh, interaction between teammates. How much of that is Will Hardy? How much of it is the mix of players? And you know, just tell me more about you know what he's what he's done in his first, you know, first two weeks as an NBA coach. Yeah. I I think that a lot of it is Will Hardy because I think that it's very difficult. I mean, historically anyone who has coached Jordan Clarkson hasn't (laughs) been able to really turn him into a facilitator and he's averaging, I think upwards of five or six assists a game right now. And so just purely based on like that one tiny example that that comes from trying like Will Hardy getting Jordan to buy into whatever he's selling. And that's been across the board on the roster. Every and it's that's a difficult thing for so many guys who have never met him, know, known him. I think that they're like mo- the biggest relationship that he has on the roster is Rudy Gay from knowing him during his time in San Antonio. And Rudy Gay is not even a huge part of this rotation, hasn't played in the last couple games because he's been in health and safety protocol. And so the, this he's so new to everyone. And so to have already kind of earned the trust of all these players and, and gotten them playing the way that he wants them to playing is a huge credit to his uh, coaching prowess, I guess. I, I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening behind the scenes. Um, some of the things that the guys have said, like, even Taylor Horton Tucker, who again is not a huge part of the rotation, but he said like Will has made it clear to the players that he's not going to overanalyze anyone's mistakes, that everyone is going to get a fair shot and that he doesn't want guys like looking over at the bench if they make a mistake and wondering like, is this going to get me pulled out of the game that like 
he's been incredibly supportive of everyone. And so I think that there's, and that's not to say that Quinn Snyder wasn't supportive or that he didn't give guys an opportunity, but kind of in the, in the latter years of that jazz team, the rotations were really rigid. The expectations were really high. Everything kind of had a standard. And I think that when you have a little bit more, more freedom and, and that people aren't as familiar and because familiar means that you're familiar with people's like good sides, but also their bad sides. And so I think that so the la- that lack of familiarity and just trying to build these very open relationships is paying dividends. And, you know, uh, we talked to pop about Will Hardy and asked him kind of like, what, what's the reason that he rose so quickly kind of through the ranks from video coordinator to lead video coordinator, assistant coach. And then he's on the front of the bench and he was like, well, he's really smart and he's a great basketball mind, but like, bigger than anything, it was very clear that early on he was able to command respect of the players, no matter his age. And so I think that that, and that was true in Boston. I mean, he had guys like Jason Tatum and Al Horford, like really quickly turning to him and leaning on him. And so, and that's proven true. And so I'm still trying to peel back the layers of Will Hardy. I don't really know him that well. And uh, I think he's getting used to like talking to reporters as often as he is. And he's kind of in, uh, just straightforward mode. Um, but whatever, whatever he is selling to these guys, they are buying and they're buying high. One of the things from, from my perspective that I've enjoyed, and this I think ties in with sort of the, the playing with energy and with freedom is there's three to five wins that a team can just pick up over the course of the year by doing kind of uh, uncontested things consistently well. And in the Jazz's case, it's like just getting into offense early. Like, and this is, I'm, I think I'm going to contrast this with the Wolves in that you, know, you look, even if the other team scores, the Jazz are into their first action at 16, 17 on the clock. And so they're just giving themselves, you know, they're moving and giving themselves time to find something good instead of, uh, I think that, you know, John, you've mentioned earlier that, that you know, the, the Wolves are, you know, playing one-on-one and against the shot clock a lot. And I think just, you know, moving with a little bit of not like, you know, a Mike Conley team is not going to sprint up and down the floor anymore right now, but they're just into stuff fast. They're into stuff early. Yeah. I mean, and that's been, that's been an emphasis too. And it's like, and also not giving up after a first action too. And so they're playing like a lot of motion offense where, you know, it's, it's, it's so read based. And so, you know, maybe it starts with like a high screen that turns into like a slip screen going down or a flare screen and one guy drives and then they kick and then they swing. And so when they start too, the movement doesn't stop. There's not really a lot of time where you see guys just like parked in the corners or no one cutting. There's so much movement and that happens a lot also at the end of games. They've been in a few like close games down at the end. They had like two overtime games in the first three games that they played. Uh, they won a close one the other night over Memphis. It was a one point game. And where usually like in the last few minutes of a game or in the last moments, fourth quarter or overtime, you see a lot of like ISO heavy ball. Again, they don't have that go-to guy. And so they're just running the same actions that they do like in the second quarter, they do that at the end of a game too. And so I think that that's another thing that's catching people off guard. 
there was there was one of those games where we got an extended run of, of Jordan Clarkson time. Right. He, well, he you're gonna always. Said. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna always get one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, John, I want to flip back over to you because it does seem like um, I, you know, I don't want to. I mean, I do want to, but I'm I, like I don't want to go over the top beating up on on D'Angelo Russell. But it seems like it a little bit of the Wolves kind of offensive problems start there in terms of just not not getting into stuff with dispatch, not having, you know, you know, pace, not in terms of running up and down the floor and getting a bunch of shots up, but just like moving and, and, and making the defense guard multiple things in a possession. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple of things. One is, I mean, they have been better when, with Jordan McLaughlin on the floor um, because he plays at a faster pace. He is more of a game manager type of a point guard uh, to use NBA quarterback parlance than he is um, a playmaker, home run hitter type. Uh, and that's what D'Angelo Russell purports to be. Um, and so I do think that you see just everything move with more purpose when McLaughlin is on the floor and running the show and, and, and really conducting the offense. Um, D'Angelo is more of a prober. He, he likes to have the ball in his hands more. Um, he wants to run the pick and roll, but then do it very deliberately and get the defender on his hip and kind of sort of snake through the lane and, and get little off-balance shots and, and things like that. And sometimes it works, and a lot of times it doesn't. The other thing that is very readily apparent right now is that we kind of envisioned that a D'Angelo Russell-Rudy Gobert pick and roll combination would be a good thing for the Wolves and would really help unlock D'Angelo Russell in a way because, you know, Russell has played this season with, or most of his career in Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns, who is not a role man on the pick and roll. He's a pick and pop guy. And, um, and so Rudy being a, a much more quintessential role man, uh, I think really complements D'Angelo Russell's game more and allows him to get to the mid range and operate there. But, their timing, um, their chemistry, you know, their feel for each other just isn't there yet. And I expect that to improve over time. And once they get some of that down, I think you will see D'Angelo Russell be more effective and be more comfortable in what they're doing. But right now he is not effective and he is not comfortable because they just don't have any sort of timing or or structure or chemistry to that little action. And, and that's hurting the Timberwolves uh, quite a bit in, in terms of just really slowing down their offense and making it hard to have any kind of bread and butter to get going on. Carl Anthony Towns passing to Rudy Gobert has been much more effective and much more dynamic than D'Angelo Russell passing to Rudy Gobert, and that's not a very good thing. So... Two things I kind of wanted to end with, and, and again, thanks both of you guys for, for making the time, um, is, is I asked about Will Hardy. Um, I want to ask about Chris Finch. Um, he's someone who, who for the first kind of season and a half of his tenure, I, I think that the, the, the returns were very positive on in terms of, of, of what, like, I, the coaching job he had done. Um, I don't know, again, given what we've talked about, about sort of the odd fit and, and lack of time to develop chemistry, it's hard to put a whole lot of what has happened on him. Um, what do you think he sees as kind of the way out of the, out of the, the kind of the, 
the, the clunkiness of the offense so far. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's not a it's not an exciting answer, but I think it is that he just wants this group to play together more. Um, both against San Antonio on Sunday and then against Phoenix last night, uh, the the bench team, the second unit, was playing a lot better than the starters, and they had whittled big leads down to very manageable margins. They got within two last night in Phoenix in the fourth quarter with Nas Reed, with McLaughlin, with um, Torian Prince, those that group with Anthony Edwards. Um, and both times Finch went back to either, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, the, the starting five to finish the game. And if he just wanted to win that particular game, uh, then he, there's a real argument to be made that, hey, you stick with the guys who are playing well and just try and let them get over the hump and finish the job. But Finch has a bigger picture in mind and a longer-term view, and he knows that if this team is going to make the playoffs and, and, and advance in the playoffs the way that they envision them they, being capable of doing, it's going to be on the backs of Edwards, Towns, Gobert, Russell, you know, that whole group playing together and being hard to handle. And so he wants them in these positions to play together and play through their mistakes and figure this thing out. And so that's why you're seeing him go back to those groups even when they are not playing well because he's not looking at one game. He's looking at a much bigger thing here. And I think his answer is they just got to be out there together a lot and they got to play through the struggles and they've got to find each other's strengths and weaknesses and way to complement each other and, and do it in a way um, that is much more fluid. And that once that clicks in, then they'll be difficult to handle. Then they'll, then it will all pay off. But the growing pains that they're going through right now are, stinging quite a bit because they're taking some losses that that they could otherwise have got and uh in a western conference where wins are coming at a premium this you know this this hurts them it's an underwhelming start it's not a disastrous start but it's underwhelming and um and so but but finch is kind of just sticking with that group and 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 trying to get them to work through these things on the fly you know john one of the things that you mentioned that i'm reminded of is with D'Angelo kind of working in the pick and roll with Gobert, um, Mike Conley, who's an incredible pick and roll player, had so much trouble when he first came to the Jazz. Mm-hmm. And and not just on the offensive end, too. Like, he was overhelping a lot on defense, which I heard Chris Finch mention a little bit when we were up in Minnesota for that game. Yeah. That, like, guys are still getting used to the fact that, like, there's a three-time DPOY behind them. Like, mm-hmm. you don't have to overhelp. And, and so I'm just remembering like those growing pains with Mike Conley, like, and he was pretty vocal about it. Like, I'm, I'm just not used to this and we don't have timing and we don't have chemistry yet. And it was, it was difficult for him. And so someone as good as Mike Conley having that, like, I just imagine probably how difficult it is for D'Angelo. And I mean, I agree with you. Like it's an underwhelming start, but like these things are going to come together. Yeah, it's 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 uh yeah, I just don't think you can talk about absolutes either good or bad uh in early November in the NBA. What? Um you no. know, we've seen it we've seen it happen <laughs> too often before. And so um I I do like I I still remain pretty confident and in the group f- 
finding a way and figuring it out. I, I just remember last year, this at this time of year, the Timberwolves were on their way to a 4-9 and nine start, and it looked just awful, just terrible. Like, here we go again, another 30-win, 28-win season. And then they found it, and they got to 47 for 46 and, um, and, and got into the playoffs. And this team is far more talented than that. And so I do think that they will find a way. I just do think that a lot of the struggles that they're having right now just in the lack of energy and the and the isolation, it's just really hard to watch, and they've got to work through it. There's no other way to do it. It's it, it, again the size of the problem is you probably would have seen their early season schedule. You probably would have said they should be about six and two by now. Yeah, and and that, that's 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 not that much of a difference, but it's it's as we've kind of talked about the manner of it has been more concerning. Well, and also Seth, just real quickly on that. Um, you're right. Like when the schedule came out, you said OKC twice. You say San Antonio three times. You say Utah once. Well, Utah and San Antonio are playing great right now. Maybe at the end of the year, they're not in the, the they're in the lottery, and you're saying, "Oh man, they you really regret losing those games to those teams." But this was not a case. I don't think really um, in, in any of the, either of the two San Antonio losses or the Utah loss of them not playing, you know, just really playing poorly, even though they, they were not playing well. But San Antonio's beating people. Utah is beating people. And and that's just, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. If they got all of these guys in March, maybe maybe the outcome is different. Um, but, but this is not, you know, they are not just kind of fumbling the ball against teams that are just playing awful right now. I mean, these guys... These guys are playing really well, and they're catching them at the wrong time. So, last question on this is is, and, and then I want to get like overall league thoughts that don't involve the Brooklyn Nets from 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 both of you before I let you go. But um, is there is there a time window? Like, if we're if we're having this conversation in six weeks and they're twelve and twelve, I mean, is there conversation about a starting lineup change? Is there a conversation about a, a move? Is there a conversation about trying? Kind of one of the things that I've kind of wanted to see is just see what it looks like if if Anthony Edwards is the nominal point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, like what if if this goes longer? Like what kinds of things are on the table? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you know I, I've said that I'd like to see at least twenty games uh, to let them try and and put things together. They're at eight right now, um, and and so that's kind of my lower level benchmark for where you want to start to see progress. Um, but yeah, if it does not come, uh, if, if they just continue to have the same problems over and over again, and, and this is not working, especially if we get later into the season in, you know, near to the trade deadline and stuff, and they're still really kind of languishing, you, then, then you're absolutely looking at making changes to the starting lineup. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's Russell coming off the bench Maybe it's uh, McLaughlin starting. Maybe you go out and try and find a different point guard um, to, to get things going. Um, and, and, and maybe you try to add a little more shooting if you can, we, although that's very difficult to do. But they will absolutely be aggressive, I think, in looking at making changes once they feel the sample size is big enough to, to have a true evaluation on what's going right and what's going wrong. And then, obviously, if they get to the end of the year and – they're either in the plan or God forbid out of the plan and not, not in the playoffs, you know, then you ask bigger existential questions. Then you ask, then you look, start looking at, 
you know, is Carl Anthony Towns uh, possibly movable or you know, all these other things. Now, they don't expect to do that. They don't want to do that. They believe in this group. But um, but those are all the, the what ifs that that would factor in. But I just think the sample size need to be much bigger than than eight games before you even start to float any ideas of lineup changes or trades or things like that. You just really want to see what you have before you make any rash decisions. Well, having just said you don't want to uh, evaluate on the sample size of eight games, uh, <laughs> I, um, just general thoughts about what, what you, you know, over the first two weeks of the season, what, uh, what, what you guys have seen kind of around the league, the teams that have, uh, um, it, and we talked, or, you know, I mentioned earlier a number of kind of the teams with expectations have scuffled. Uh, the flip side of that is, you know, a number of teams have surprised, the Jazz being one of them. Uh, but I was just, you know, uh, early impressions of the overall season from from each of you. Start with you, Sarah. I mean, I think a couple of the things that have surprised me in the West is, um, and maybe ignorantly, I thought that the, the bad vibes in Phoenix would be more uh, dramatic and have more of an impact, but them being 6-1, and one, I think, is their record right now, and um, is surprising to me. I, I mean, I know that they were very good for the last couple of years, but I mean, it just, it felt like everything was imploding. And so that's, that's a pleasant surprise from them. The Blazers and Dame being back um, and then the Blazers being good when Dame wasn't playing that that's been a, a nice surprise. Um, I think that the, the Clippers and the Warriors not really having a great start was also surprising um, and then in the East, I mean, I guess we just won't talk about the Nets. <laughs> the, Thank you. Just the ineptitude. <laughs> I mean, we could, I mean, the, 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 your connection to, uh, the, the Cavs have, have, have gotten everything they could have possibly asked for and more from, from Donovan Mitchell so far. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm waiting on that actually to see like when Darius Garland is actually back in full swing, how that's going to work out. And if things are going to kind of regress at all after that, that that's going to be kind of the interesting wrinkle. I think that he's supposed to be back. Maybe their upcoming game. I'm not sure. Um, that that's, that's something that's really interesting that Donovan Mitchell has been thriving so intensely while he's been sidelined. And so, uh, I'm a little bit worried about it when he comes back, but I mean they've been playing incredibly. Yeah, I, I mean I I love Cleveland. Um, I I think that the combination of their size and now their dynamic perimeter play is really going to make them tough. Uh, I think when Garland comes back, hopefully they'll be able to kind of sync up together um, because I think Garland is fairly unselfish. So hopefully. That'll work out, I think, when they get Ricky Rubio back. Sarah, you and I both know him, and like yeah. I think he's going to have a, a huge uh, all, effect. All vibes on the first team. Yep, all vibes first team, absolutely. <laughs> so I like, I, I really do like what I see from them. Um, I, you know, I think that their success is more sustainable or more easy to bet on than if you look at what Portland has done or San Antonio has done, and if they're gonna, there's ever going to be, you know, a little bit more of a tail off. At some point, um, I the the team that I'm watching a little bit more from a you know from a disappointment standpoint is Miami. I know they beat Golden State the other night, uh, but I just man, I don't know. Um, I don't know if Kyle Lowry has another year left in him. I don't know. 
if Jimmy's starting to slow down just a little bit. Um, Bam Adebayo is a great player, but I don't think that he is a guy that you, that just say, that he says, okay, we're all struggling, jump on my back, I'm going to carry us for a couple of weeks here. And so then, then their supporting cast as well, I think, is, is hurting a little bit. So that's a team that I think potentially you know, could be in for a little bit of a fall, um, just given where they have been over the last couple of years and how good they have been. But that's one that I'm watching and saying maybe there's more than just a little bit of a rough start here, and maybe this is sort of a, uh, the beginning of the end type of a situation. Yeah, I've been watching the Heat, too, because it, it seems like uh, that could be uh, – they were one of the teams that kind of reached out in the off season and inquired about some players with the Jazz. And so I'm keeping an eye on them because if it continues in that direction, that could be a team to watch out for for a potential – uh, trade with the Jazz. And finally, I'll just say Milwaukee looks freaking great. Yeah, like, they're amazing. <laughs> Giannis is incredible. Um, you know, they're doing everything, you know, kind of still without a full complement of their guys. And um, I picked them to win the title at the start of the season. And I feel really good about that. They look awesome. Our uh, our colleague Eric Name has a, has a, uh, uh, a, a feature about uh, uh, Brooke Lopez coming out soon. I think he's been... He's been, it's kind of under the radar since they've just kind of been stomping on people, but he's been absolutely tremendous to start the year. Um, certainly for an older player who's had back issues, um, you know, it's, you can't really have asked for much more. Um, and that, I think my last question to you, and this is something that's occurred to me, is the Bucks aside, it does seem like the disappointing teams have tended to be the old teams mm. and the surprising teams have tended to be the young teams. Am I, is that just selective memory on my part or is is there a little something going on here like a almost a changing of the guard across the league well there there could be that but also i think you know seth the the i would say that the youth or lack thereof plays a big role in the start of a season sometimes because the young guys are super excited and and maybe you know uh, you look at a san antonio they don't know they're supposed to be bad and they haven't lost a lot yet. And so they come in and they come out firing and and they get a little confidence and they're playing with uh, some pep in their step. Whereas like the older guys, like Golden State, maybe they look at it as, uh, we just had a championship. We're going to, oh, here we go. We're starting again. But this is a, a six-month slog and there's no reason to really get up for a game against Portland in October, like that's not what that's not what we care about that much. We we care about playoffs and um, and we know we're going to be there in the end. So there's a little bit more of a lackadaisical nature to the start of some of these, you know, some of these older teams. And you know, I, I fully expect the Warriors to kick it into gear. You know, maybe the Clippers, maybe if Kawhi's injury issues are are for real and linger, maybe that they're they're in a little bit more trouble, but. Um, Miami is older, so that that one I said. Brooklyn, I think, is just a disaster. Um, but I, I do think that there's just this nature of like the 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 young teams are little puppies that get let off the leash and get to run around wild for for a little while. Then they're going to get tired and they're going to get picked on and they're going to kind of slow down eventually. Whereas the old dogs are not going to get too excited and they're going to keep ev- their wits about them and then. 
you know, starting in January and February is when they sink their teeth into it and, and take control. So we'll see. But uh, that's kind of the way that I handicap that right now. A very classic tortoise and hare situation How about that? here. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I think that's as good a spot as any, any to leave this. I want to uh, thank you both for, for uh, taking the time. Um, it's, it, again, I think these will be two of the more interesting teams to watch and obviously to compare in tandem over the course of the season. Um, so uh, let's, let's see what they both look like in uh, 20 or 30 more games. Thanks a lot for having us, Seth. Yeah, thanks, yeah, a, thanks a lot. Uh, Sarah Todd from the Desert News. Um, no time to ask you if you've watched a movie. Uh, on, on, on this appearance, but we'll, 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 we'll catch up on that another time. Uh, John Krasinski of The Athletic, thanks for joining me, and uh, thanks, folks, for listening. I should be back tomorrow with Kyle Mann, who I've teased before and actually might happen tomorrow. So thanks for listening, and take care.